We're going to continue our series on looking at the intersection of hopes and fears and how do we figure out how to live in times when maybe we have great hope in God's promises and yet the reality is maybe cold or harsh or painful or there's some suffering. We're going to look at a passage that's not uh, one of your traditional Christmas passages to start us off today. It's in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. So you're going to go way toward the back of your Bible, Hebrews chapter 1. If you want to look that up, um, there's Bibles in the chairs or you can grab your own Bible or look it up online. Hebrews chapter 1. As we get ready to hear God's word today, I want to offer this prayer. The Lord be with you. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom, all, through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about his son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, but you will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? This is God's word, and it's true, and We can rely on it. Angels show up a lot at Christmas. They come in our Bible stories. They also come in many of our other stories. We sang a couple of the classic carols this morning about the angels, and then there's a couple of others that we didn't sing. Hark the Herald Angels Sing and Angels and Shepherds, a carol I wasn't really familiar with, but it's a classic. The Angels Song and then the classic Grandma Got Run Over by an Angel. Oh, wait. (laughs) Maybe that's not the right one. Angels are popular in song. They're also popular in movies. I discovered this week that there's no less than five movies, five different movies entitled Christmas Angels. There's also movies called The Angel of Christmas, Angels and Ornaments, Paper Angel, The Angel Next Door, Angels in the Snow, Angels Sing, and Fallen Angels. Anybody ever see any of those? Of course, there's one classic that's probably more popular than all those combined. It's a wonderful life, right? Angels are also popular in greeting cards. In fact, I read a blog this week that said angels are making a comeback in greeting cards. So I don't know how many of you send out Christmas cards this year with angels in them, but usually in the Christmas card variety, they're all cute and cuddly and 
kind of inspire this. But no angel on a Christmas card ever uh, was required to say, fear not, I'll tell you that. Hallmark angels are warm and peaceful. So I've got, I don't know what image comes to mind when you think of angels, but I've got a couple images here that are kind of common. The first one is that kind of cutesy, kind of glowing cherub kind of angel, like a little, like we sometimes think of our little kids when they're on their best behavior, right? Some people picture angels as kind of more like a mighty, powerful warrior. And the Bible actually talks about angels that are like warriors, like leading angel armies and things like that. Sometimes people have that image. For others, it's more of like a nondescript, maybe shape-shifting, kind of just a glowing, beautiful thing. It's really beyond our ability to describe. And for some, it's more like the unremarkable stranger, right? Clarence Oddbody, fumbling angel. Whatever your image might be, it seems to me that we are fascinated by angels. We're fascinated by what they could mean and what they could do, and this year it seems to be heightened awareness. So I thought it would be appropriate as we're looking at all the different characters of Christmas this season that it would be good for us to look at angels and to figure out what can we learn from them to help us understand how we do live in this intersection of life that is filled with hopes and fears both. And do the angels and the angelic message and the presence of angels actually help us with that? So that's what I want to do in the next few minutes. So I want to do this by looking at various places where angels showed up in our Christmas story. And we've already touched on some of these earlier this season, but I want to review them. The first one is when the angel appeared to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. Listen to what the angel said. Do not be afraid. Kind of a classic angel opening to people. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will hear and will bear a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and in power, in the power of Elijah, to turn hearts of the parents to, to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, this is also kind of a common theme, that they have, you have a conversation. They come delivering a message, but they are open to be questioned. So Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is very old as well. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now... You will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So it may be okay to talk to angels, but you might want to be careful how you talk to them. While this conversation is going on, Zechariah is in the temple in the holy place, and while he's in there, the people are waiting for him to emerge to come back out after performing his priestly duties. And it's taking a long time because this conversation has unexpectedly interrupted him. And so they're wondering if he's going to come out and when he will, what will they hear about this experience? Which is interesting because these people who are out there waiting for him to come from the holy place are people who are used to waiting. They're people who have been waiting for generations for God to come back and speak to his people. Because God has made promises to these people that they will be a great people, that there will be a great kingdom, that there will be a kingdom that lasts forever, and these people are waiting to see if it will happen. They're waiting to see if God's promises are going to come true. And when I read these stories, I find myself 
identifying with them readily because I've had periods in my life when I'm like, you know what? I feel like God has promised good things and I'm waiting to hear from him. But I'm not hearing from him today. These people have been waiting for generations to hear God speak. And then, interestingly enough, when Zechariah emerges, he can't speak. I think Luke is writing these stories to draw us in with these curious details. To say, listen, for generations, these people have been waiting to hear God speak to them. And now Zechariah comes out and he should have been able to say, listen, God has spoken to us by his angel. He's made this great promise and it's going to be true. And they don't get to hear it out of Zechariah's mouth. Now Zechariah is silent even though God has begun to speak. God speaks through an angel to Mary. And this is what the angel said. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The angel announces to Mary... Something new is about to happen. Something that you have been waiting for for generations. You've been waiting for me to speak and now I've finally spoken and this is what I tell you. A kingdom is coming like your great King David. The only difference is that this king will come and his kingdom will go forever and ever. His kingdom will never end. It looks in these words like God is about to keep his promises. He's broke his silence and now he's telling these people Though you have been waiting for generations, and some of that waiting has been hard waiting, your waiting is just about over. And suddenly it seems like God is sending angelic messages all over the place. Joseph gets an angelic messenger, and then the angels get not just one, but a whole choir of messengers sent to them. Jump down a little farther in Luke chapter 2. The angels came to the shepherds and said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. One of the things that fascinates me about the Christmas story is people who've tried to like render these stories uh, artistically or visually. There's lots of really fascinating ones. I found one that I think is probably my favorite, and I want to have it up higher here on the screen. This picture of the angelic choir and the shepherds as they're preparing to go to Jerusalem. I just thought this encapsulated this sense of awe that is created in this story when the angels appear and bring this message to the shepherds. Something new is happening. Something different. Something that hasn't happened for hundreds of years. God is speaking. He's giving specific messages to specific people and he's sending those messages through these angels. The Bible makes many references to these angels and always the biblical references are um, 
kind of awesome, kind of beyond our ability to maybe grasp or understand. Like you would have to actually see it to really get what it is that you're seeing. But these spirit beings are known to be in, um, uh, bright and shining, and they're often bringing messages for God's people. They're also watching over God's people, giving protection, giving guidance, sometimes administering justice. There seems like there's lots of different functions that the angels carry on. But they are always this uh, very real sense that they're carrying out the mission of God, that their will is to do the will of God, that their will is to bring the message that God has intended them to bring. So we understand that angels exist to fulfill God's will, and carry out God's command. Seeing an angel or getting a message from an angel would have been like an awesome experience, probably awe-inspiring. And yet the Bible's very clear that we're not supposed to worship the angels. We're supposed to worship God, that the angels are actually just servants of God, and we're supposed to worship God. There's a lot of speculation about exactly how the angels carry out their work, about who the angels are, about how many angels there are. There's a Angels are referred to as having a a heavenly host or like as a massive army. We've got these pictures of multitudes of angels. I think there's lots of interesting speculation, and I don't know, some of it gets off the rails a little bit, but one thing I came across a number of years ago was an imaginative essay written by J.B. Phillips, who's also a guy who wrote a Bible translation. Um, And he wrote this very fascinating picture of kind of imagining what it might have been like for the angels to experience this first Christmas. And the essay is entitled The Visited Planet, if you ever want to read that. It's fascinating. But in this particular story, J.B. Phillips describes a senior angel who has taken up view of the earth, and as he's sitting there, a junior angel comes alongside of him, and he tells this junior angel to make note of this planet. He says, this is a special planet. And the junior angel kind of scoffs at that because he says, that planet looks very small and rather dirty. That's how he describes earth. To which the senior angel replies and says, well, it might be insignificant. It might look insignificant. But that small, dirty planet is the visited planet. And the junior angel starts to figure out what that means. And he replies this way. He says, but how? Do you mean to tell me that our great and glorious prince with all these wonders and splendors of creation and millions more that I'm sure I haven't seen went down in person to that fifth-rate little ball? Why would he do a thing like that? And the story continues to try to explain why would the prince go to a planet like this? And the senior angel talks about how this world was made bright and pure and without fault, without sin. And how this world then falls into increasing darkness. How the sins of people turned this bright and beautiful place into a very dark place. until it looked like the whole world was going to be swallowed up with darkness. And then, one day, there was a small speck of light, but very intense. And that light was coming from a baby. 
But the darkness did not understand that light. And so it looked like that light was going to be swallowed up in this darkness. In fact, the darkness did not understand that light, so the darkness killed the light. And as the angels watched this unfold, it looked as though the light was going to be extinguished completely. But remarkably, the light then began to pulsate and throb, and it began to spread. And all these other little points of light began to go out from that moment until there was a glow around the world. And that glow was from people who embraced the light, who accepted that this baby came for them, and that this baby went to the cross and died for them. And as they accepted that, their sins were forgiven, and they began to glow. And then that light began to spread around the world. As the angels watched this, they were fascinated. And yet one thing that was very clear in this little parable that J.B. Phillips wrote was this, that the angels, though they may have been in the presence of God, and they may have seen the glory of God, and they'd seen the holiness of God, they'd experienced that. When they watched the world fall into darkness, they certainly would have grieved over that. They certainly would have ached over that as the world became darker and darker and darker, and yet they were helpless to do anything about it. They could simply watch as the world became darker. And though they might have wanted to do something to rescue this dirty little planet and to save these people who had fallen into darkness, the angels themselves were powerless to rescue them. But God could rescue them by sending this very own son to come and live a perfect life and go to the cross and die in our place. While the angels may have been powerless to rescue us, the angels were not powerless to announce this good news. So can you imagine on that day when the light appeared and some angels were selected to say, you get to go tell the world that God is now keeping his promises and that this darkness that had threatened to cover the whole world is now going to be pushed back by the light of this baby. Can you imagine those angels volunteering to go, I'll be in that choir. And that angel, as he stands in front of the shepherds to announce this good news of great joy for all people, today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. This is the one who will push back all the darkness. And I imagine they couldn't stop themselves from singing, Gloria. God has rescued his people on this visited planet. When I came to the book of Hebrews for our lesson for this morning, it struck me as a little bit of an odd reading for Christmas. But then I recognized something that was happening here. The person who wrote the book of Hebrews was writing to a church that was in trouble, a church that was facing hardship and grief, a church that maybe was near collapse. And the preacher who wrote these words to the, book of, to the people of Hebrew was saying, what hope could I give to people who were living in the midst of their troubles, in the midst of a cold, hard world? How could I help them? And I think that's why he begins with these words. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Yeah, God has, in the past, spoke to his people. But in these days, God's decided to speak in just one way, by his Son, the one who he has appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's being. He's the one who sustains all things by the power of his word. He's the one who has provided purification for sins and the one who sat down at the right hand of God the Father in heaven so that he became superior to the angels at the same time as, uh, as superior to the angels as his name he inherited is superior to their name. So I have this little suspicion that these people in Hebrews, maybe, maybe they were fixated on angels. Maybe they were fascinated about these messengers from God who were going to come and maybe rescue them or deliver them from their troubles. And this writer is trying to say, you know what, I got some really good news for you. We are not worshiping angels. We're not celebrating the work of the angels. We're worshiping God Almighty. And we're celebrating the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, to bring light into a dark world. That's what we're doing. Because he says this, For to which of the angels did God ever say, Hey, you're my son? To which of the angels did God ever say, I am your father? To which of the angels did God ever say, Hey, sit down here at my right hand and rule the universe? Sit here on the throne until your enemies are conquered. Sit on this throne forever and ever. You see, the people of God were waiting for a message. The message they were waiting for was this. God has sent a Savior, so we know God is keeping His promises. And the reason the people knew that God was going to keep His promises was because He sent a baby to rescue. By this baby, God saves us, and by this baby, God brings peace. Another thing the angels maybe have perspective on is this. What kind of peace are we talking about? Because we live in a world where it seems like there's no peace. It seems like we live in a world of constant turmoil. One nation fighting against another nation. One tribe fighting against another tribe. One family member fighting against another family member. It seems like we have no peace. What are the angels talking about? Peace on earth, good news to men. I think the peace they're talking about is this peace that they've observed through all, all generations. That is, we were in hostility with God. The Bible says we were God's enemies. We needed to be reconciled to God. And the angels who've been watching this increasing darkness overcome the world have recognized, you know what? By this Son who comes, there is going to be peace because there's a way through this Son for us to be reconciled to God Almighty. That we can be at peace with our Creator, with our Savior, and with our God. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And one of the things that makes me probably the most excited about Christmas of all the things is that in this season, we have the opportunity to recognize at the intersection of our worst nightmares, our worst fears, there is hope because God keeps his promises in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, as we come before you today, I want to give you thanks for your word for the truth of it. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who takes these truths and applies them to our hearts. I pray that you'll help us to continue to live out our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.